0: Hello, and welcome to Just Don't Care Yourself Today podcast. Today we have Andrew Callner and a great friend. Andrew, are you ready to start? I think
1: I should do it in the nude, right?
0: No, 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 no. What is your full name? My full name is Andrew Tolson Callner. son of
1: Robert Lewis Calder.
0: And where were you born? I was born in
1: Montreal, Quebec, Canada.
0: How would you describe your... Childhood home.
1: I have this motif where my
0: father felt like I had a
1: hero myth over him, and then also he felt like there's some Frankensteinian monster. I grew up in a very small town. We moved uh, east of Montreal, a small college town. And I ascertained quite quickly as a young boy that my father, in many ways, was the most successful guy in town, as we would define that. He ran a uh, rather large company, very liked in our village, and was funny and uh, seemed well received by the college professors. And so in some ways, my father was the most successful man in town. But he was also the town drunk. And every few months he'd go on a binge. And, um, and I would look out my window just to see if the car was wrecked. Every morning it would be like a car check because I was fascinated with the, the creativity of the dents in his car. And he always had a nice car, but it would be ruined after these binges. And then my mother, I would, I described as she did not drink heavily. Um, she couldn't use the drink and so she was hypercritical my father called me uh, the lightning rod which you know if you know um, the country where barns have these lightning rods on to attract the lightning during an electrical storm and he goes I like it when you're around because you attract all the criticism and all the shit from your mother Uh, my upbringing I was a middle child I had a sister 18 months older would not allow me in her room and was very sort of disciplined and structured and 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 just always working hard and I was just a solitary kid. I had one friend from my early childhood, I still remember his phone number, five six nine six eight nine five. And I was a nerd. Uh we lived on the edge of a forest. And my very first girl that I ever met tragically uh went missing at some point during my childhood and it was a small town cliche where we were all looking for her, and I was broken hearted. I was so shy; I was a very shy kid. When she went missing, nobody knew my, the depths of my feelings for her. So in 1975, when she was 13, I was 12. She was found in this apple orchard behind her house, and it was um, said to be a suicide. And she, uh, her dad's shotgun was next to her. In the last couple of years, I've looked at research in the newspapers, and the French paper said she shot herself in her stomach, and the English paper said she shot herself in the heart, and she was said to have been pregnant. That was the first girl I ever loved. That was, uh, to say the least, um, probably set a tone of distrust, perhaps, or or a distance um an existential crisis of sorts. I know I was very aware of population-run riot. I remember as a child, the population on Earth was 3.5 billion, and I it was over seven or eight now, and I remember thinking this is a crisis of all crises, and I was having a hard time just studying and focusing. And I was, by the way, very, 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 very certain that this whole thing was a story, and that, in fact, it was her father um who killed her. And so I had to live with that. You know, I remember the police showing up at our house. So we were very intimate in this. And I remember thinking, I can't believe all these adults just don't tell the truth. And then at one point, I got very sick and I spent almost a year in a hospital. I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis as an autoimmune disorder. They didn't think I would make it. A lot of the guys and my the kids in my room died. So my childhood was uh, an odd one. Yeah, <laughs> um, I like sugar. I like sugar. I like fast cars, and I like uh, you know. I found salvation in fantasy and imagination and um, high risk taking adventures. High, high risk, and everything I did was high risk. Whether it was fast cars or risk taking in vocations and everything I did, that was my childhood, my friend.
0: Did you enjoy school? Oh. No, I hated school.
1: <laughs> I thought school was a form of a, a prison sentence. I had got caught doing something terrible. For a year for, for about a year, I let all the air out of my parents tired. And then in, in kindergarten, on a Sunday during the winter, I got caught. I had this incredible teacher and she had a yellow piano and she would sing songs on Monday morning and do this beautiful mural of multicolored chalk and she was literally the ideal teacher. And I remember... That one Monday after being caught for this horrible, I got grounded for three months. And I, I remember thinking, like, I'm a bad boy. My life is ruined. And this is kindergarten. And then in grade one or two, I, I found my subjects very easy. And I was I got way ahead of the rest of the class. And then I just sort of isolated. And I got very bored. And, and it was just really tragic. I really did not like school. I hated high school. Even to this day, you know, if I'm like permanently depressed or if I'm I'm depressed as an adult, I would would think of a high school and the sounds of high school or playground and I would pretend I'm playing hockey and skipping class, skipping school and I'd have the greatest day of my life. Yeah, no, I I didn't like school. I had the odd eccentric teacher that I really liked. They were like the parent I never had, but
0: that's about it. What song did you last sing to yourself? Probably it's a great, big, wonderful, super, incredible, super,
1: spectacular day. Little bird singing, oh yes, yes, most certainly be a super, spectacular day, until... That was an insert from when I was a kid from Mad Mag- Magazine. That was this little record that was flexible, and it, when it went until... Every time it went to until, it would go down a different track. I found it fascinating. It would describe another disaster, and it, and it would end with... So it's not such a super spectacular day.
0: <laughs> what is your daily spiritual practice?
1: Moving really
0: quickly and numbing out every
1: chance I can get. Uh, my daily spiritual practice has absolutely no structure whatsoever. I do and then I'm moved enormously by the simple, you know, like a breeze or a night sky star you know looking up at the night sky and seeing some distant stars or just nature in itself so my spiritual practice almost is connected there's a certain serenity connected there's a certain serenity humility and a a center uh, a sense of groundedness when i'm Presence with nature, but I don't have any consistent structural. Maybe when I first get up in the morning, I definitely have a long sort of meditative session, um a lucidity when I first wake up, a certain presence and a, and a calmness. I used to uh, practice this one. I made out before I go to bed, just cured me. Before I go to bed, I would ask myself as I'm laying there, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? I afraid of? And I would just. Asked that over and over, and I'd fall asleep. And as soon as I'd wake up in the morning, I would ask, What am I afraid of? And the first two things that came to mind, no matter what they were, it might be like to phone Roger or to get that paper done. Whatever came up, I would I would do them by noon hour. And if if I did that, I was the happiest man on earth, no matter what. I have a definition for depression is unmanifested courage. And for me, the opposite of fear is courage. Courage is a French word, courage, which means literally heart rage. Fear seems to be like a locked heart, seems to be a shut down space. And so, you know, rage of the heart is sort of outing our inner, maybe anger or angst or fear and just taking action. Maybe it's the race. It's probably like a, a race car uh, go Frost spiritualism. Like, yeah, just get
0: on. What books or people were a big influence in your life?
1: I mean, I always like the Iron Motif. So any book that had this escape motif and sense of a full adventure, and I think those were important as I read those as a child, like Mutiny on the Bounty and whatnot, because it just made going... The distance, going places, going far, going into the unknown, just seems so interesting and so doable and so fascinating. I've had such a, what I really have a lot of gratitude about it kind of life I've had because of so many different experiences. And so I think those early books of adventure, the one book that really hit me the hardest is Henry Miller's very, a book that very few people that I know have read, it's called Time of the Assassins. In my understanding, he wrote it while he was up at Big Sur, it's, you know, the post-Paris stuff. And it's sort of a projected autobiography on the old French poet Arthur Rimbaud. And it's sort of a metaphysical biography, not so much a practical or a real. And, and and it sort of did I think every poet or writer or artist or musician could really relate to this book. I found it I, I was putting stars or check marks next to different paragraphs and I ended up getting like five stars and five check marks, which is truly one of my favorite books ever written. I have a feeling for these uh, inventor types, you know, I always like these mad Inventor or the mad poets, the mad writers have followed their story a lot. There's all the obvious ones from, you know, Hemingway to Dylan Thomas to all the mad, you know, soulful, broken spirited. I connect with musicians deeply, and then weirdly, I, I have a thing for these sort of maverick billionaires. I like it. What does somebody do that has no restriction on what they can do? And when they do that, I find it quite interesting.
0: You were, for me, someone very inspiring and a teacher, and somebody who came into my life and showed me this like different way of thinking and different way of living, and not to be afraid of myself. Remember the treehouse. Yeah, with uh, Haley Parr. And shout
1: out to Haley. She called me the other day. She called me out of the blue and she spoke for three hours straight, and I was laughing nonstop. And I thought of you so much, Barley. Yeah. <laughs> because when you were over, you used to interview her. I don't know if you recall. Yeah. And you two were collaborating musically. You and Haley were always playing guitar and singing together. And so yeah. I thought of you like a half a dozen times. I lived in a, in a tree house, you know, in the back house over the swimming pool, but it's the back house of the Orson Welles' old house where he died. Whoa. Did you know that's the legend of that house? And then Darren Waters that wrote Heathers, he owned the house when we were living there. And I more or less just slept on the couch the whole time I lived there for like five years.
0: That place was magic. I think I had some of the best times of my life, awakenings and just, it felt really safe and fun. And it was a place you could go and be yourself and discover things and talk freely. And uh, you don't have to put a damn on how you feel. Yeah. Yeah, Harry had
1: a thing, you know, she went to San Francisco with me because the last minute because my sister was getting married. And then that minute, I had to bring the dogs, I up the dogs to the wedding. And then she just went wandering into San Francisco and kind of hung out under the Golden Gate Bridge, as far as I'm concerned, for three or four days and made her way back to L.A. And about a week later, a guy just showed up at the door and said, I'm here to see Haley. And I just went, well, you know... Bailey, you know, she's kind of unpredictable, like you better just sit down, you know, you might, she may arrive or she may not, and, and it, I looked after this guy for like four days, Bailey <laughs> didn't show up for four days, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we became great friends, he was this wonderful Austrian guy, we ended up collaborating, wrote a story together, him in Austria, me here,
0: things happened. That is awesome, um, so when did you last cry?
1: Oh, well, I wish it was today. I love crying. Most of my crying is I'm um, moved compassionately or by something that I see, but it's usually a positive tear, just the tear of, of some beauty, something beautiful. But uh, a true tragic cry—it's been a little while until I get beat up and blue right now. You know, I won't say I won't say hardened, but I'm okay. I guess I'm kind of processed. So it's been a few days. I'm sorry to say, I wish it were today. I like a daily cry if I can. Tough man's cry, you know. When I'm not a tear. of tears, dust in my eyes,
0: you know what I mean. I agree 100%. So you're in Canada. <laughs> How are you dealing with the COVID?
1: Um, well, first of all, I, I left mid-March from Los Angeles in my friend's car. He had, he had gone to Croatia and he said, I'll oh, just keep it. It was an all beater car. And, uh, when they shut down Los Angeles and California and the Canadian U.S. border closed, I thought, I better get out of here. And I drove to British Columbia and then I quarantined there for 14 days and then I drove across the country. And I had bald summer tires. And driving over the Rockies, there was all these big flashing signs saying, must have snow tires, must have chains. I was like, whatever. But and I can't tell you. It was a 5,000-mile drive over snow and ice, and it was brutal. I ended up in a little village in Chester, Nova Scotia. It's a place I used to come in the summer. My ancestors are all from this area, but go back to like the 1760s my family first arrived in Massachusetts spent there about 100 years there before america was invented there was signs saying come to Nova Scotia this great great you know it was after the british beat the french so we arrived here and then my great 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 grandfather drowned at sea on a ship going to new york off of the coast here so there's a lot of history um my I, Great-grandmother was an historian and was a big advocate for the Mi'kmaq. When I was 15 or 14, I met this girl here in this little village. 15, she she kissed me in the middle of the summer, so she was my summer love. And uh, I've got a few friends here. It's, It's a little rough and tumble. How is it? And this, I miss Southern California. I think it's one of the great places on planet Earth. I love it. People don't understand what it's really all about. It's about connection. It's about ideas. It's about vision. It's about all the world. I think all the world lives in Los Angeles. So I once went to Thanksgiving American Thanksgiving and had 18 different people uh, from 18 different countries. You know, it's just kind of an amazing place. What is it like here, yeah i I you know part of the reason I said I, if this thing all goes down, I thought they were kinder and gentler zombies in Canada, so if you know I was being attacked by the zombies, they would be apologetic, like oh, I'm so sorry, I have to take your food and kill you, and they'd be giving me a hug, you know canadian style um takedown, you know, and instead of like get it on, get it on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they just gentler I too thinking that like yeah well
0: you know just a kinder death <laughs> so I I have another Canadian question for you um what is your favorite Leonard Cohen song mm. I have a, a very uh, I have a very 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 long history with Leonard on a very personal basis you know
1: from a girl I dated's mother had seen him when they were in college at Montreal and I'd go to the same delis as him and I know the story about where he learned his first chords from this Spanish musician in a little park where I read C. when I was a boy. And I I met Suzanne uh and uh, pick pickup trucks and it was her cedar shingles thing from which the song was inspired. I know his daughter, Raka. she came to my art show in LA. I was dating a girl for a little bit when I first got to LA and uh, she somehow knew of Jeff Buckley. So early on in my time in LA, Jeff Buckley was an influence in my life. He used to leave messages like, "I hey, like it, buck, no buck. And uh so that was a tragic loss and his version of Hallelujah really cracked my heart open. I I and so I have to say Hallelujah. Despite all the other you know, I did I do love everybody knows. No, I think there's something prophetic. It's almost like masters of villains, masters of war. It's it's a real tell on our time, but hallelujah. Um there's something special. And then uh, I had a friend saying it in a very special occasion for the Rock and Horror um, Hall of Fame when, uh, when, when Leonard Cohn was entered into that. So I helped work on that the lyrics with that. His favorite version, by the way, was Katie Lang, Leonard Cohn's favorite version of Hallelujah. I don't know if you ever heard it.
0: Is it I, I, I'll Google She's it. Is, is it good? <laughs> yeah. It's
1: pretty good. You know, I, I like it. I, it's her live version. You can't miss it. Just go Katie Long Live. Hallelujah. It's really, but that was, you know, I, I learned that that was Leonard's favorite version. He liked it more than Jeff's, interestingly.
0: You know. What do you do to keep yourself happy and keep yourself? Because right now we're going through such a, a depressing time. And what have you done over the years to just. You know, everyone goes through hard times. I think
1: I, mean, I think the great, um, the the great darkness is cynicism. Uh, that fundamentally, every single human being, even the most violent of human beings, are is just craving connection, connection, and in, in that sense of that that we matter. And you know, I always like you know, I was playing the mosh pits, and that's sort of like a frustrated adolescence way of connecting. (laughs) You know, it's like, you know, if you can't communicate, you just go in this pit and smash into each other and you feel like you're connected. That's how desperate, you know, a tough guy or an emotionally messed up kid finds connection. We all crave it. So I think it's an absolutely universal rhythm. I think all of life is frequency. All of life is a, a wavelength you know, Nikolai Tesla talked about that if you want to know the secret of life. And so, it's very important that we just get into that connective groove and find that that universal pattern. Um the depressed state is the is this is the quintessential state of separation, of disconnection of of a of a complete existential breakdown of the truth that that, that you do matter and that you are fundamentally incredibly special incredibly beautiful incredibly perfect in every single way and that you know we crave your being and and what you have to offer what you have to say and that little smile and that laughter that unique you you know and uh I constantly have to remind myself of that. You know, I can go. You know, I think it's very important. You know, you pick up that phone and you and you find some laughter with somebody who's willing to listen to you, is open to it. Is is I don't know. It's everything, man.
0: We all need each other, and everyone plays a role in that's the beauty of having an honest real friendship with someone to be able to listen in a loving way show someone hey man this is you know th- this is what's really going on and this is how you get out if you want to who's your favorite photographer and why you can list a few you don't have to just have one
1: i would say uh, probably carsh partially because I became aware of him as a young boy. He was from, well, he had moved as a young a young boy as well to my town in Quebec. And then uh, my sister worked with him in Ottawa, and she got me a book of his and, that he signed. It was a very special book for me. And he took some of the most extraordinary portraits. He did all the iconic por- portraits, really, of, of so many people we know, certainly. And when he did uh, Alan Keller you know, he would spend three or four days, like let's say Churchill, to get that perfect moment or Hemingway. And with Churchill apparently he got this great, like the iconic photo of Churchill. And after three days he, he when he realized he pulled the Churchill's cigar out of his mouth and it snapped the picture. And it was that scowl that became this iconic photo and the Helen Keller he took and he spent all this time with it and he realized she communicated with her hands and, and so the portrait of Helen Keller is of her hands. So yeah, Joseph Karsh, you know, it's special. You know, and I there's a lot of photographers I love, but you said the most.
0: Yeah, that 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 that's great. That's great. Um what was your favorite cartoon character growing up?
1: It has to be the roadrunner. <laughs> 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 You know, you got to admire a guy who tries and, tries and tries and tries and tries and tries and never succeeds, but never gives up, <laughs> you know. No matter what the consequences, he just never gave up. Plus, you know, my dad had this car, uh, Plymouth Roadrunner. He came home with a, that little Roadrunner on the Thunder, fast car that obviously just amazed me, you know, and it had the horn. Be me, be me. I did the Roadrunner sound.
0: So what would be your dream car? Like what car would you like to get in every day and drive around and and work on? And what, what is like your dream car? I don't
1: know if that resonates with me anymore. I was very obsessed
0: with cars all my life. I had
1: many, 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 many different cars. Uh, Just crappy cars and broken down cars and trash cars and ridiculous cars and great cars. You know, when I was was a teenager, there was pretty well not a night I didn't go airborne in a car on the country road. I I learned to drive very, very quickly. What car would I most want today is probably just a vintage Volkswagen Beetle. Something with three knobs and a smile. Like the simplest thing in the world, you know. I think cars have got too gadgety and complex. It's sort of an AI creep, if there ever was. You know, artificial intelligence is all around us. It's happening already.
0: You're driving a computer now. You know, the computer tells you when to fix it, when to do this, mm-hmm. and then you and you can't go in but there and fix it because you got to get to the computer to be able to get to the motor to get to the blah 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 blah. You know, well, you had a lot of motorcycles, right? You like the motorcycles, don't you?
1: I had a lot of motorcycles. Uh, my first motorcycle I got from a kid, a French-Canadian kid. I was uh, a license and I couldn't find my parents, so I ended it in the woods for a few years. I had this motorbike, and the shifter was broken. I had just vice grips from, from a shifter, and the spark plug would follow up there a little while, and I could just open it up and use sandpaper. and just a beater. And then in 1987... I bought a motorcycle called a GPZ, no, that was the Magna V65, 1100cc Honda, and at the time was the fastest production motorcycle on earth, and I had so much fun with that bike. There's an ad on YouTube you can watch with that, the Honda Magna V65, the world's fastest production motorcycle you're about to witness, you know, it was just so thrilling. (laughs) You could go
0: at that time. I could go 178 miles an hour. That's awesome. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, Lisa wanted to tell you hello, and she misses you and she thinks you're so awesome. Hi, Lisa. She loves talking to you and she just thinks the world of you. Like I think of the world of you, but she goes, when I think of Andrew, I just start smiling. Oh,
1: that's so sweet.
0: What's the best advice you ever got?
1: I have never got advice. <laughs> hmm. I think I moved too fast. That's probably the best advice I've ever got. Yeah.
0: What's the worst advice you ever got? Bad advice
1: is don't take chances. I mean, a lot, a lot of people say the road less traveled. Mine's more like a like an uncharted path through the woods, like where I have a machete, like I'm like making my way. Like there's really no map. It's so off grid. though. like, who's gonna advise you except don't go, don't do it? Every best memory I've ever had has been come out of trying to do something and not and not succeeding and then the lesson is in there. Like there's genius to be learned and at least I tried, you know. That's why I like that scene in one crew with the cuckoo's nest, you know, Jack Nicholson. When he tries to you know, lift that marble sink in the lab and throw it through the window and he can't lift it up and he goes, Well at least I tried Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's so beautiful. <laughs> beautiful circle, right? In the last act. At
0: least I tried. Yeah.
1: But.
0: That movie is still holds up today. Went for Luke Cougar's Nest.
1: I think if you were to take advice from someone, take some advice from Ken Kesey, you know, the author of the book. Um, he's one of my favorite, one of the great, huge influence in the creation of the Grateful Dead. He used to say, like, I don't really do drugs and alcohol anymore. I got my Ph.D. You know, I'm in postdoc. I've done all the research that I need to do, and I don't do that anymore, you know. I don't judge it. You, you're doing your undergraduate degree, you know? <laughs> But, you know, you move through it, and if you've learned everything you need to learn, well... You don't have to keep doing it, you know? I thought that was a beautiful way to put it.
0: What would you tell the listeners who are struggling right now?
1: Historically, you know, we go back hundreds of years or thousands of years. Historically, there's been many times in history where people have struggled with enormous challenges. Find some humor, be creative, write beautiful story, laugh. Find anybody, pick up, you know, know, call anybody, laugh all you can. If you have access to any kind of nature, walk out into a field, lay on your back and look up at the sky. None of this craziness right now can touch nature. It just, nature is always just perfect. I've never walked into a forest and looked at a tree and said, I got to fix that tree. It's just
0: perfect. That's another gem. You just dropped another gem. You just dropped some... Beautiful knowledge there, Andrew Colner, Do you think technology has brought us together or has separated us?
1: You know, when the Internet first began, I thought it was one of the most beautiful tools to connect the world. I still have faith in that, this beauty of understanding distant cultures and being able to read and watch a video in translation. And I certainly feel that. In a lot of ways, we've we, it's given us a window into so many different experiences, so many different people's lives and cultures and things. I think it can be both that it, it's an extraordinary tool that amplifies. You know, any individual can express themselves, and have a billion people listen.
0: Everybody's, you know, giving a filter of what their life is like. Is there anything that you would like to say? Just that I really appreciate that you're doing this, and I and I hope you know, more and more
1: people get to to listen to, to what you're up to here. I think um, this is an example of technology with some positive vibes, man, positive
0: vibes. So is there anything you want to promote? Is there anything that's like a website or anything that you're doing that the listeners can check out?
1: Yeah. No, I'd like you to just to, uh, promote your stillness and your own, um, you know, take just one minute to really just be still and feel yourself grounded in your chair wherever you are listening to this right now and no there's nothing you have to do you you can feel the energy of the entire the heat at the center of the earth coming through you and that you're just everything's gonna be okay i really like to promote that
0: well andrew i i just want to say uh thank you so much for being on the podcast and i have so much love for you we've been through i mean i've so much together and you've taught me so much and I, when you said yes to be on the podcast I was jumping for joy Lisa was jumping for joy I feel lucky to know you I just want to say thank you, thank you thank you
1: you're so kind Barley, you really are I love you Barley, love you so much
0: Lo- love you <laughs> alright All right. thank you for listening and that was number 9 Just Don't Care Yourself podcast. I want to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. And I want to thank Zach for editing and sitting with me and making this such a beautiful production. More to come. Thank you so much. And take care of yourself and take care of others. This is Farley saying, have a great day.